carpronetwork.com. We are here with the December 2012 edition of Behind the DM Screen, the one where Mike throws his dishes around. That's Michelle throwing oh. her dishes around. Oh, okay. <laughs> this is a, a podcast for those of you who are first-time listeners where three DMs get together once a month and chat about their games and help each other make them better. Uh, and that's all the introduction you get. Randall, you're up first. Go. All right. I'm going. So... This last month, I did not get to play my 4E campaign, <laughs> but I did get to play D&D, and I DM'd, and I, D- I DM'd D&D Next. Right on. And I'm going to talk about that, because it was pretty cool, and it was the first um, really big session that I ran of D&D Next where I wasn't actually like playing in it. I, well, I guess second session, really, of um, my... Uh, kid had come in from college and I sat down with my two boys and one of their longtime friends and we sat and rolled up characters which took a lot longer than what I expected I was kind of hoping it would um, go faster than what it did because Anna was originally going to sit in on the game and she helped actually she actually rolled up characters she rolled up one of the new monks and um, but it took like two hours rolling up characters and that was quite a while uh, and everyone was pretty tired by the time they were done. It so these was level, like, level ones? Level ones, yeah. It took how long? Mm. It took hours? a couple hours, yeah. With a, next, many... with a next character? Yeah. Were you also teaching them how to read? No. <laughs> how many characters? Uh, one for each player, so three. Hmm. Okay, I just... Um, I, I, I haven't played next in a, in a while now. Uh, you so have to I'm, keep I'm... in mind that two of the players... Um, I mean, Anna's rolled up four E characters before, but remember she had a digital tool to do that the first time around. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It was not on paper. And the, the second thing was the other two. My my two boys have never played. Yeah, yeah, I could see never it played uh, okay. a game of sure, D&D. sure, sure. Are you? So, were you so, you're explaining how did you have the, How did you have the play test? Were you passing around docs, or was it on an iPad or something? No, I had it on paper. I'd printed okay. copies off. Yeah. Okay. And you were doing so, them, you were doing them one at a time. It's not like they were all working simultaneously. Yeah, we were all working simultaneously. Oh, okay. Yeah. So, but um, you know, it wasn't a simple matter of just pick this because they while the choices were there, the choices didn't mean anything until I explained what the choices were. Sure. That's a, and I think that's kind of important to note because while I don't I love the long character creating session because when I start my actual campaign for whatever form D&D Next takes, um, when it comes out for real and I start an actual campaign, I will take a single night, we'll have noshes, and we'll just sit around and I'll do nothing but for four hours we'll work on creating characters. We won't play that night. And I'm okay with sessions like that because it's, you know, it's an investment in time. And so I, you know, I want to take that time sure. to do that. But we were on holiday and so it was kind of, I was kind of hoping it would go a little faster and then we could get some play time in, but it did not. But nevertheless, um, we finally got the characters created. And what I did was I decided to convert uh, an old module um, called the Sinister Secret of Salt Marsh, mm-hmm. which is an awesome module. Um, it's one of the U series, which was the, one of the first um, uh, British series of modules that came out. Um, U1, 2, and 3, and then I think later UK1 and UK2 and UK3 came out. But um, Sinister Secret Assault Marsh is a really good campaign because it starts off as a haunted house. And spoiler alert, (laughs) 
turns into a um, smuggler slash pirate adventure. Are you giving a spoiler alert for something that was published like what thirty years ago? I am because okay. you know someone's going to say, <laughs> "Why did you give it away?" And, all right, all right. Yeah, and and for the record, I didn't mean to insult anybody in your family. I I apologize. That's quite okay. <laughs> Um, I'm, you know, Anna doesn't really listen to the podcast, so she's probably okay. To... Um, but I like your wife. She's a, a lovely, lovely woman. Thank you very much. Yes, I think so too. <laughs> um, but, um, but since, uh, Anna had a prior commitment, she couldn't play the next day. So, um, they brought over a neighbor boy who they played with for a long time. And, um, and he had never even, I mean, while he's played some computer RPGs, he's never played a tabletop RPG either. Look and at you! So, look at you spreading the hobby. Pre-game. Yeah, I, I had like three, three total complete noobs. But you know, once they got the main gist, it was not difficult at all, and um, it was fun watching them, you know, explore. And I let them, I let them run with it. There were, uh, you know, at one point the module says you're not supposed to be able to climb up the uh, uh, chimneys. But he wanted to go up the chimneys and take a look. And, you know, it's an abandoned house, right? So, And I said, oh, fine, whatever, you know. The chimneys are, excuse me, the chimneys can go, you know, I'm just going to ignore that part of the module and the chimneys you can look up into the rooms. Yeah, sure. And um, at one point he gets bit by a giant spider because when he climbs the chimney, he climbs right into the webs of a giant or a large spider or whatever, um, which I converted because there's only a giant spider in the manual at the moment. But um, uh, but it worked out really well, and most of the monsters that are in the current playtest um, converted straight over. I didn't have any issues at all, uh, and the ones that I did, um, the most radical change I made was trying to come up with a pseudo dragon um, by converting one of the actual dragons. <laughs> and so what I did was I stepped down the hit die size by the size type of the original, I mean, by the published dragon. And then, um, and then I think I dropped it also. There was another reason I dropped it too, but I can't remember now what it was. But the it worked out. The conversion seemed to match. And I, so far, I've not, I didn't have any um, issues with balance. They did not have a cleric with them. I warned them. <laughs> <laughs> I said, guys, you might want to have a cleric um but the uh, the neighbor kid decided kid these guys are like 16 plus and i mean okay. i was, gonna, I was like, gonna say how old are these boys now yeah i mean zach's zach's 20 ian's 17 and i think um devron is like 16 or 15 okay. so you know they're all you know uh they're all teenagers but uh he um he decided he was going to be the wizard and uh, that actually worked out pretty well. He didn't seem to have an issue with, you know, picking out the spells. Uh, there's, it, there is a learning curve in the fact that, you know, oh, I have to pick out spells. <laughs> sure. Um, and there were some questions about, you know, line of sight and, you know, can I cast this spell from way over here? I go, well, no, that's a blast. You know, you have to, you know, it's only 15 feet, so you're going to have to be at least, you know, this close. You know, when they were fighting some Sturges, that was an issue that came up. Um, the typical kind of stuff that comes up with any kind of uh, uh, players in a in a new game. Uh, one of the things that I did enjoy was, was the fact that even though we were using a map, because I had, I had mapped it out ahead of time just to save some time, uh, I felt I could go off that if I wanted to mm-hmm. at any moment. 
you know, I was not constrained um, by those things. So, uh, but they even dealt with a, um, I mean, they'd found an NPC in the haunted house, later turns on them. I think is the the NPC's name is like Ed Shakeshaft or something like that, and he's a he's a planted assassin. Well, there's no rules for assassins, so I made him a rogue instead. Um, and uh, but like the thug rogue, or which you know the build that's kind of like thug like, you know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. Not the stealthy stealthy one, but the the thug one. And uh, and he betrays them right as they're trying to confront this uh, this other um, smuggler down in the basement and so they had to deal with that and they kind of freaked out and it was it was pretty cool there were some good moments so but it was uh, most importantly i i finally got a chance to uh uh to feel at least with some new folks what uh what dnd next is how it plays out and mm-hmm. it was a lot of fun and i think that you know so far it's a completely you know, it's a valid way to play it's different than 4e but it's uh, it's familiar because a lot of the stuff that was there is stuff I remember when I was growing up playing the game. So there wasn't a, there's not a lot of huge changes. I think the biggest change, and I mentioned this I think to on to Trevor either yesterday or today whenever he asked the question about favorite game mechanics. I love the advantage and disadvantage die. I love it. Okay, I think that's, it's, that's good. See, that was one of the things that they when they introduced it. I'm like, well, everybody loves it now. I wonder how in love we'll be with it after we've played with it for a while and it, you know seen the cracks in its in its foundations. You know, um, is it going to be uh, too much or is it going to be you know too awesome or too horrible or whatever? And so I'm I, I'm interested to hear that you've played it a little a uh, few other times now and it's still holding up for you. Yeah, I I love it. I think it's it's less it's a, it adds a little bit more excitement than just the golden the old gold EM golden rule. Which mm-hmm. is the plus two minus two thing? Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. It's just it's players actually get kind of a thrill. They're throwing the yeah, you're throwing an extra die, but it's like oh man, gotta take the highest or gotta take the lowest, and so there it actually it bumps the excitement up just a little bit, but it's just enough that um, it makes those in- things interesting. So, well, and it, uh, tying this together, I believe it was even you who discussed it on the last uh, news desk. Um, you brought up, I think, uh, one of the articles where they talked about how they're because of the uh, advantage disadvantage system, um, they can actually utilize that more instead of static bonuses, which will right. stop some of the power creep. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. There's one. There's a. There's a danger. I mean, I I love advantage and disadvantage, and and I had we had a lot of players in my game that uh, were worried about its uh, power, and the only thing that bothers me is the increased chance to crit and I'm only worried about that if they start monkeying around with crits later like right. adding oh. adding other things that happen on crits or increasing critical threat range you know you can't increase threat, critical threat range and have advantage you know, because you've had bad experiences with that with 4th edition yeah 4th edition crits got so crazy and, and it's you know as soon as you start giving it I mean you're doubling the chance to crit so if you do anything on that which it's is funny because I didn't, ha- I didn't, ha- I didn't have nearly the issue with it in fourth edition as I did in right. third. So yeah, yeah. But see, to me, that's not that still lays within the logic for me anyway. Is that if you have an advantage in a situation, you have an advantage chance as well to crit. I think that your damage that you're doing is, you know, you have that much because you have an advantage on your opponent. It's more likely that shot is going to be even better 
Mm-hmm. And so I, to me, I mean, it may not for everybody. I mean, you're right. It doubles the chance for a crit. But to me, that's OK with my. Yeah, I'm 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 fine with so, it. Yeah. I'm fine with yeah. it. Doubling the chance to crit as long as they don't start doing other things, too. Right. Because the problem oh, is that if they right. say like, OK, on a crit, you know, if you have a Vorpal sword or your Vorpal yeah. sword now has twice the chance to kill a guy instantly if they do it that way. And I don't know. I don't, yeah. So far, they haven't. Um, but if you're standing over him and he's prone. Yeah, I guess. Why not? Yeah. Yeah. So, you I know, mean, the thing I always a, say is, will the players mind if you do that to them? <laughs> well, yeah, I mean, that's the thing. And I told them that, you know, I go, disadvantage happens, too. Right. And and I got a chance to use it both in I, I think I used it once in combat and like three or four times with skill checks. It's mm-hmm. a lot of fun to use the skill checks, because if something weird is going on with while this is happening, I think I said I think one of them wanted to tumble past something or, d- or do something while there was. Uh, a combat going on, and I I can't remember the specifics of what the event occurs. I should have took better notes what I was playing, but um, they uh, I said, well, you can do this, but you'll be at a disadvantage to try to to try to check that out, and and it made sense to them, you know, because wow, there's all these distractions. I can't do this skill check if you know, or as well, you know, so. Like I said, I loved the mechanic. I, if there's one thing I've fallen in love with with the game so far, it's it's that. So, uh, which is kind of strange because it's a little tiny thing. It's not, you know, but that was the deal. Uh, they got about. They wanted to play again, so that was a good thing. At Christmas time, they, I mean, the next time we have available and Zach will be home again will be during the Christmas holiday, mm-hmm. and th- and they were both immediately begging me, you know. Are we going to play again? Are we going to play again? I go, yeah, man, you know, play again. <laughs> so, and I never played. That was one thing, you know, DM confession here. I never really, I was always available to the boys if they wanted to learn, but they never really showed a huge interest in wanting to learn the game. Hmm. So, I mean, they all had their own things. Um, I mean, I'll, I'll be honest. I was probably, I may have been too intimidating to, to have them sure. to be the one to teach it to them. So when they were younger. Uh, so, you know, I just, but uh, but I'm kind of glad they uh, they both enjoyed it. Mm-hmm. So. That's awesome. And I uh, yeah. I've I've done some of that in through different avenues as well. You know, I've I've taught it to middle school students because I'm a middle school teacher, and I've right. also and I've also taught the game a little bit to my son who's you know six. Right. So taught to him. You know, we, we play some things, and, and I'll pull out miniatures and and make up scenarios that make sense for him, and uh, and we'll right. use, vaguely use the rules and and. And do stuff, you know. I think he uh, he created a his first character was a elf fighter named Elfie. <laughs> <laughs> Elfie. So, hey, you know what? That's not far off from Melf. Nope. And that was um, Elf male. So <laughs> there that's, you, go. you know that's where that came from, right? No. Yeah. When um, see, Melf was played by was it Gygax's son? Okay. I think originally. Uh-huh. And oh, really. It was short for um, male, elf. male elf, Melf. <laughs> yeah, I no, that's in the that's in the. You look up the wiki; it's it's in there. That's what it is. I believe you. Mm-hmm. Right on. So, yeah, but that's basically my uh, uh, my so, adventure. In so, did game. you did you play through the entire uh, Sinister Secret of Salt Marsh in, in one sitting? Uh, yes. And how long did uh, that take? Well, we didn't do the boat. We got as far as the the sub basement um the thing was is that the uh they had uncovered the uh, smugglers in the caves 
You keep talking but, about the story as if I know what you're talking about, but <laughs> I'm sorry. <laughs> That's okay. The whole, thing, the whole haunted house is basically a cover for a smuggling operation. So it's a Scooby Doo episode. And, yeah, it really is. <laughs> okay. No, no, absolutely, no, without a doubt. And um, and so there's a lot of creepy things in the house. It's mostly abandoned except for the odd vermin now and again. And of course, this guy who's planted there in the upper floor named Ned Shakeshaft. So and he's kind of keeping an eye on the smugglers. Um, by his bosses who are like merchants. And that's kind of a side story. You don't really have to worry about that so much. But he eventually betrays the players. And um, But as they got down to the basement, they uncovered the old necromancer who used to live there, his, his uh, lair. And in his lair were like these six skeletons. Well, the six skeletons hammered them. And it was just, they were brutal. Um and so they were pretty wiped out, and so they had to flee and rest. And so by the time they got back to the caves, the smugglers had already grabbed the goods that were all laying around down there and had left for the ship. So they there's a lot of part of the adventure they missed out on because they had to leave right away, the, mm-hmm. the, the uh, characters. And so – but they got that far, and they I could pick it up at, you know, at the ship part. So mm-hmm. – uh, so they didn't really miss that on loot because the loot's now on the ship. So, uh, but at the same time, they will have to find. They'll have to fight some more. Um, I might still plant some more smugglers down there as guards or whatever, so that there's not too many on the ship to have to fight. But, uh, and, but and, yeah. So they're on some sort of harbor. They're at a. They're on a coastal city, Salt Marsh, yeah, okay. which is the name of the coastal city. Sure. Okay. So it would be. It could also be that the. You know, they they engage in some sort of chase after the ship, and it leads them into yet another, you know, classic module. Well, you it just, actually – oh, sorry. Go ahead. Go ahead. Yeah, go ahead. I was just going to say U1 leads into U2, which is actually a um, a band from Ireland. But no. Um, <laughs> <laughs> Does that make you Bono? Yeah, that's right. Um, after you figure out the smuggling operations going on and you recover the sh- the goods from the the ship or whatever, you get some kind of inkling that lizard men are involved in this. Th- all these goods are going to lizard men for some reason. Weapons okay. and all the stuff are going to lizard men, and so that immediately raises the point: okay, are the lizard men going to have a war with somebody? What's going on? And in U two, they actually the players confront the lizard men. But the whole module is psychological because the goal of the module is to actually um, figure out that the lizard men are gearing up to fight the Sawagan, you know, the shark guys, and not the humans. In fact, they want to ally with the humans eventually. Uh. But the way it's set up the play the the characters don't immediately know that and so unless they're brave enough to negotiate it turns into a slaughter and i know this from example because i played this when i was in high school and our our characters in the party i was in uh, i think my my brother was dming the game <coughs> excuse me we slaughtered the lizard men just it was total mass it was awful um until at the very end we found out that uh the lizard men were supposed to be your allies <laughs> and we had these two lizard men babies following us around we had to adopt them 
and it was it was for for it was one of the more emotional modules I had ever played because the the shock of realizing oh crap what did we do um, and that is what U two is all about it has nothing to do, it, it's literally about um you know that psychological uh you, do we do mm-hmm. this you know it, it it thinks you're doing one thing and and you're actually supposed to be doing something else and making the hard choice so you know, right. so my 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 concern as i listen to to what you're talking about doing though with this group is is that they're going to finish the salt marsh stuff fairly quickly in the next session and and, um, and then yeah. it's going to be like the end of an adventure an hour into a session and then starting a new adventure it, it would be interesting to see if you could find a way to to make them sort of flow together even more smoothly so they all just feel like one larger story and we may be able to do that um, if there's time. It just depends on how much time we have to play mm-hmm. uh, over break. But um, if we can get past the ship part and just finish all of you one, I would be happy. Okay. And I would be okay. Yeah, I mean, you, I'm not. You know better than I do how long that'll be. Yeah, and this is um, this isn't a long running campaign, so sure. you know I'm yeah, not. Yeah. They're one offs essentially, and so um, and again they're just testing, and there may very well be another playtest packet out by the time we play again. So, but, but I know people who but, did who did series who will do series of one offs, you know, once every month or two, and they'll do it for you know twelve to twenty years, <laughs> you know. Well, and, yeah, yeah, and, ma- and make a campaign out of it. So, yeah, that's a good point. You, you keep them hooked. <laughs> get, get your kids to keep coming back to visit that way. There are disadvantages to having two brothers playing the game together. <laughs> I can imagine. <laughs> uh, yeah. Um, one has a tendency to dominate the other one, and noses, even as teenagers, noses can be bent out of shape. And it's like, guys, it's just a game. Settle down. But one will automatically assume that his way is correct. He's thought it out. You know, it's logical. This is the way it should, this is how things, and the other one says, no, nah, let's just do this. <laughs> and, the, and the older one is the one that always says, nah, let's just do this. <laughs> and it just pisses the younger one off. <laughs> it's like, no, because of this, 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 or this. And it's like, no, it's okay. <laughs> but by the way, I totally forgot to start the timer on this. Oh, we're oh. probably over time. So, uh, by my reckoning, we have been recording for twenty-two minutes. Yep. So some of that was intro, and yeah. so about that's about right. Pretty much nailed it. Yep. Yeah. Very good. Yeah. And so we will take a break from Randall's adventures in Salt March to remind everybody to go check out Continue Magazine. It is a gaming magazine for all sorts of gaming, um, whether it be you know video games or an article. They have an article recently on on the history of toys, um, digital games, role playing games, all kinds of games, and many available in many formats. Uh, it's only like what three bucks an issue. Uh, It comes out quarterly. Everybody should go check it out at ContinueMag.com. For entire generations of people now, gaming is as much a part of the fabric of their reality as television, films, books, music, and any other form of entertainment medium. Continue is a magazine for the gaming community, the global gaming community. Not just video and computer games, but board games, card games, role-playing games, alternate reality games, and anything that falls into the category of humans engaging to have fun. A celebration of gaming. Issue 3 now available, featuring the rise, fall, and rebirth of adventure gaming. A once mighty genre sits at the cusp of greatness once more. And the history toys. Why mixing real-world fact with in-game fiction provides a richer gaming experience for us all. Continue Magazine at www.continuemag.com. 
And we are back, and it's my turn. Hey. I'm going to yeah. go next. We're going to make Mike go last because he's Mike. <laughs> All right. Uh, so I have been continuing with Gardmore. Um, we only got one actual real-life sort of session in. Um, we had one sort of off week um, where we we just did some played some Munchkin and some board games and that kind of stuff. Um, so I suspect, though, that the session I have this weekend for Gardmore will be the conclusion of Gardmore. Um, last time they killed the dragon. Um, and when they killed the dragon, they found uh, Sir Oakley there, despite the fact that he died in the tower and they had him interred uh, back in, in what's the main city? The capital. Winterhaven? Uh, no, no, no. Fallcrest. Fallcrest. Yeah, they took him back to Fallcrest and had him interred in the, at the Temple of Bahamut there. Um, and and then somehow he was there unconscious at the by the statue where the, the dragon was. And he couldn't much explain it himself other than he just sort of realized that he was walking along, you know, the grass and headed towards the... Uh, Gardmore Abbey. And I'm kind of, I kind of stole uh, your idea for him, Mike, mm-hmm. that he's actually one of the original paladins and and cannot die. Um, I've, yeah, he's old. Yeah, although he does, he doesn't even know it. Oh, that's cool. Um, and and I've sort of taken a little bit from um, um, uh, Captain Jack Harkness from Doctor Who as well. Oh, I it, love it, Captain it's, Jack. It, it's not that he's undead. It's not that he's um, uh, whatever. It's just that he he simply just can't die. You know, he, he's broken, he's cursed, whatever, and he just can't die until this, this mission is accomplished. Um, and so that they did that. They they killed is the... Is he wonderfully sexually ambiguous? He is not, no. Oh, man. He is moral and upright. Oh, what a whatever. Yeah, I know. Okay. And they think that he rides a unicorn because the barding on his horse has a big horn on the, on the head. That's awesome. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. I don't think they actually think that, but they mock it all the time because the little picture that they have in the book, and I actually printed them off and handed them out. Uh, he's got a big horn on the barding. Uh, but anyway, so they 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 went about his his task finally after basically that was that was sort of the one of the first quests they got, and one of the last ones they accomplished <laughs> was yeah. going out and collecting all the different pieces and and sanctifying the the dragon's roost or the cathedral or whatever it is that he sanctifies um, running through that kind of wacky skill challenging sort of thing that goes from place to place. I don't know how well you remember that, Mike. Yeah, not, not real well. It was, it was this, it was this sort of, you know, there's these three different th- places they have to go to sanctify things and you have to protect Oakley while they're doing yeah. it and you have to do a skill this sort of skill challenge stuff at each one I don't I don't do skill challenges anymore and it was a little awkward but I didn't have anything awesome to sort of put in its place so you know we made it work and it was alright I'm not mm-hmm. I, I don't mind the concept of skill challenges I just like them better sort of unplanned um, so that I can make, make sort of make them up as I go and that way I can yeah. make them actually flow with the story whereas pre-planned and published skill challenges I, I just find to be a little forced and, and stilted um, so sometimes I fudge with them and, and mess them up, and then they go crazy, and the entire party dies like they did in the uh, tower when the orcs in, uh, attacked. <laughs> so that those kinds of things happen too. Um, so that's what happened last time. They, they basically now have um, 
all they have left to do is deal with the the ogre mage um, and his minions. The um, what is it? What does he have down there? The minotaurs and the the gnolls. Right. So he's got. They got to deal with them, and then they got to go deal with the the secret collector, which is Barian. Mm. Um. And and they've been rocking through these things fairly quick. So I don't. I I'm I'm anticipating that with one good session they'll they'll be able to wrap, wrap everything up at once um i i've taught i've thought about and i think what i'm going to do um because it, it works really well for the story that they sort of that some of them have sort of created as they create backstories for their characters is i'm going to have the deck that because i like the idea like you did mike of having some sort of actual final encounter mm-hmm. um and so i like the idea of the deck being used by this um dead god of chaos to mm-hmm. a- attempt to bring himself back because that's who one of the characters worships is this dead god of chaos right uh, and i talked about this before i think and and i think what i re- want to do is have that character sort of become the the new avatar of that god and then the party has to defeat him um the trouble is i told that player hey i need to talk to you so we can talk about what we're going to do with this because i don't want to hose you or anything um and then he didn't talk to me <laughs> and he took off before I could talk to him and he's notoriously bad about responding to things like email. Um, so I suspect I won't talk to him until Saturday when he shows up. Right. So I need to have some options that are flexible. Um, and I think what I'll, I, I might steal a little bit of, of lazy DM style, right. And then just come up with three possible scenarios and then figure out which one is going to work best at, at the table and just make it, right. make it up as I go from there. Right. You know, right. either the god manifests out of him and he can still play his character or he becomes the god and then he can play the god or, you know, he becomes the god and he can play Oakley or something. I don't know. Mm-hmm. So I got to figure out what I'm going to do with that and then stat that up. Um, and I'm thinking that, you know, since he's he's the um, an avatar of chaos brought back by the, the power of the deck, of, uh, the deck of many things, that I will base his powers off of the powers of the deck itself. Right. That's a cool idea. Yeah. yeah, that's that is a good idea. So you know, anytime he manifests a power, it's actually him throwing up one of the cards, throwing the, a card, the, yeah, sure. in the players' faces, doing that. Ooh, you you know. should make him like Gambit. <laughs> Throw cards and kill people a little bit, yeah. Well, they don't have to explode, but they could do their effect or whatever, you know. And well, I sort I sort of see him as being you know larger than life, you know. Yeah, in the book, I think it's got um, different powers for when NPCs use the cards than the players. Well, if, if villains have the cards. Yeah, so you could use the villain. You could use the villain effects. Mm-hmm. I think they're a little bit more effective than what the card does on its own. Yeah, and they work a little bit differently too. So, because um, some of them are just like it creates an aura or whatever too. So right, right. So that's sort of what I'm thinking of doing with that. And then that's after cool. that, and then after that, we have another game. Um, that, or the next week, right after, we actually skipped a game last month, and then we're going to doing two in a row this month. Because uh, we normally do every other week, and we're doing two weeks in a row this time, and then nothing for the rest of the December. Uh. And if we're done with Guardmore at that point, I got to figure out something to do with a one shot. Um, now it could be that I won't be running it. Um, I have two other guys that are willing to DM, and usually what we do is we all throw up our ideas um, and see what people are interested in playing next. Hmm. Um, but it has to. But we got. But I'd like to throw you know pitch a couple of things in there, and I, I'll be curious to see um, what people are interested in. So I don't want to start something brand new and then go go on a three three week hiatus, you know. Right. So I think right. we need to come up with something that we can do in in one shot. Hmm. I thought about using next and combining it with a a pitch I actually sent in um, that I just found out what an hour ago um, that that was rejected um, for a sort of Western setting. 
uh, and doing sort of a, a bank robbery one shot using using Next and and really testing out some of the the skills that uh, skill system of Next with that too. Oh wow! Hmm. I actually one of my first campaign worlds. I actually had a a kingdom in there that was based on a Western, uh, an old West type civilization, and and each of the uh, uh, bosses of the land they came together. Whenever the whenever the king was ready to, I mean, if the king died or whatever, mm-hmm. all of these basically warlords, if you will, ranchers, would come together and have a rodeo to de- to decide the, the king. Mm-hmm. I mean, I, it was just I had a whole western thing. They all rode, you know, they were all horseback riders. They were um, they used uh, they used crossbows instead of guns because mm-hmm. they didn't have guns. But um, but yeah, it was a whole western western themed thing mm-hmm. it was pretty cool i enjoyed that yeah right on i actually I, i've actually gotten enough creative juices flowing with this whole western fantasy thing that i used it as the setting for the nanorimo novel that i wrote this year um oh cool in november and it was it's all it's all a story of a, of a of a father who's who's lost his son and is out hunting for him right and he goes to the edges of civilization and it ends up being this western sort of thing the the, the empire he's from itself is actually really roman but once you get to the oh, okay. once you get to the edges of civilization suddenly it turns very western oh wow so um, I've had it on my on my mind a lot lately, and so I'm I'm curious to see if I can turn it into something with a game. Cool. And since that was one of the pitches they rejected, I don't mind chatting about it. So, so that's what I got going on. If anybody's got any any suggestions on on how to make the uh, Western next Someone, game work, someone's breaking up weird. Yeah, I'm I'm hearing you, okay, Randall. I'm not hearing uh, Jeff at all. Uh oh. Well, luckily I'm lo- recording locally, so at least it'll sound okay. I hope. um so if but if anybody has any suggestions on how to take a next game and make it work with a western theme i would be open to that so i could at least pitch it properly since Mm -hmm. you guys since i think both of you have now played significantly more next than i have i'm not sure and the problem is Uh, i don't know you know i don't know how much to play with it before you start kind of breaking the play test I yeah, know. and I was really, I was really disappointed that my wife didn't play her monk because I really wanted to see how the monk was going to react in uh, in combat. I mean, it's clear that the players are. You got to be careful with the balance of monsters because you will eat your players up if you, or your mm-hmm. characters up if you're not careful. Is there enough support for um, ranged fighting to create sort of a, a you know a gun? Uh, you, you can make up a lot. Yeah, you know, no, they're, but they're, the problem is it's already it's already hanging by threads. No, on no, no. Yeah, no, no. Doing anyway. I'm not saying let's let's make up some new systems or whatever. I'm just saying is there enough you know um, archery, you could always archery treat and, like a bow and, and sure. crossbow. No, I'm not saying I don't even want to create guns. Like the fantasy western stuff that I've done has all been you know people wielding crossbows and stuff. Oh right, right. You know, but they happen to be out in you know in an old mining town out in the in the dusty mm-hmm. west and yeah you know, yeah and you could build some interesting I would probably do it thematically by using backgrounds and then picking the right skills for the different backgrounds that you want and using the backgrounds as your hmm. as your primary drive. Now, do you think the backgrounds that exist would be good for that? Should I? No, should, but I think the a, skills it, are okay. Is that an area where I should create something? Is that okay? Sure. Or or could I take some of the backgrounds that exist and maybe just rename them? Yeah, I mean, you can yeah. Kind of flavor and remix, right? The, the the backgrounds are essentially collections of skills. 
uh-huh. and with usually yeah. one other little factor. So you could steal like a factor from one of them and then a couple of new skills. So it's not exactly the same. You're not just reskinning the background. Mm-hmm. You're actually creating a new background from pieces of old ones, and that should work fine. And in sure. fact, I think they're intended to be treated that way. And, reminds me of back, and I, back and in I the... expect that's how they're going to add them into other game systems. Like, sure. you know, when they add their own game worlds, you're going to have a lot of backgrounds that are built that way. It reminds me back in the uh, the friends and family playtesting days. They one of the uh, what are they even called backgrounds then? Uh, I think they had backgrounds. The themes okay. were the, or the, the um, whatever the ones they that were. They used specialties. To be specialties were different. Specialties. Yeah. But, but one of the backgrounds was a, was a pub crawler. Pub crawler. Yeah, right. and so I feel I, uh, that could very easily turn into you know a saloon lizard or something. You know. <laughs> <laughs> all right. Well, good. That's that's all I got. Um, it was a you know only one session for me this last month of actual uh, role playing, so um, I didn't have too much to to look at right now. But I'm looking forward to seeing where Gardmore goes, and then when we talk next time, I'll be able to say, okay, here's what's coming at ne- up next. What should, what the heck should I be doing? If, if I'm even DMing, it might be somebody else DMing at that point. Cool. We'll have to see. So that means I got to finish early too. So that um, means I got tons of time. Or that means we'll have time for an email that we got from a listener. Oh, email from a listener. Right. So I will mark this 30. And we will mention that. Holy time you again. That's fine because I finished in 16 minutes. Well, awesome. Less than 16 minutes. Uh, so, but before we move on to let Mike ramble on and on and on, we yes. need to mention Noble Knight Games. Noble Knight at noblenight.com. They are another a sponsor for us for this month. Um, and they are a fantastic gaming store that is also an online store. And my pick for the episode in Noble Knight, from Noble Knight Games, because they specialize in finding out of print things, happens to be. The Sinister Secret of Salt Marsh, in very good condition for $38, out of print for, what, 30-some years now, Randall? Uh, yes. So there you go. Still available at Noble Knight in very good condition. Check it out and let them know that the Tome Show sent you. Noble Knight Games has been serving the needs of thousands of gamers worldwide since 1997. Huge selection of over 30,000 unique products, including discounts on most in print games of up to 50% off or more. Noble Knight Games is the place for out of print RPGs, board games, war games, collectible card games, miniatures, and all things game related. They ship worldwide and will purchase or trade your titles you no longer need, new, or used. Your satisfaction is guaranteed. Just visit www.noblenight.com or visit our website for direct access to thousands of new, out of print and in some cases one of a kind items. Okay, Mike, we're back. You can awesome. ta- you can talk now if you want. I'm gonna go ahead and get a sandwich. Yeah, great, thanks. <laughs> I'm, I'm I'm actually timing myself though. Um, so I've been running um, Isle of Dread with the D and D next play test. Sweet. And uh, set in an Eberron, and one of the hard parts is going to like a a you know island filled with. Uh, uh, prehistoric stuff in an Eberron world is a little weird. You kind of miss out on a lot of Eberron, but it w- works out pretty well. Um, so far, the, the players have been kind of going around the main island. They ran into a bunch of stuff. I've been doing the old school hex mapping, which frankly I haven't found that particularly interesting, and I'm not sure how much the players are into it. It's like, okay, move one hex, and let's find out what they are yeah. and see if there's a random encounter. That's one of those things that I, <laughs> I mentioned last yeah. time we recorded that that we did something similar um, early in 4th edition with the, the Isle of the Sea Drake that Goodman Games put out. Right. Um, and, and that's one of those things that I felt like was interesting and and 
different enough to be intriguing for about one session and then it got yeah. old <laughs> that's that's pretty much how i felt you know, yeah it's kind of interesting for one session that people are like boy and the only thing i did that i thought worked real well is um we'd roll random encounters and if they didn't roll if they didn't run into a random encounter i would have them roll to see what monster had come by recently and then they could find tracks for it so they found like huge dinosaur tracks and they're like Ooh. oh that's like, kind of cool you can chase the dinosaur if you want or watch out for the big monkeys you know and and then hmm. they could decide do we want to hunt down whatever this thing is that we saw like they they saw the tracks of a pack of ghouls and i thought it was kind of interesting that they didn't you know they had this chance or they you don't know exactly what those are they look human but they're not running like humans so that that was that added some flavor to the um each of the little areas that they explored yeah that's cool they ended so up did going you just kind of was there someone in the party that actually was skilled at being able to know that stuff or? yeah i mean i just did some wisdom checks and and like they we could see the tracks and then the better their roles and the better they would investigate then they would learn more and more about it they never actually found out the ghouls were ghouls oh, okay um so they traveled to the eastern mountains where they found a lizard oh they ran into some tiger people and they talked to them for a while and then they went to the um eastern mountains where they found that the lizards had been enslaving some of the local populace and using them to dig out a mindful of eberron shards uh, dragon shards, right? Which mm-hmm. is like the major, you know, the the oil of Eberron. Sure. And um, the uh, one of the problems I had is that the lizard, so the, the group was level four, but level one wi- lizards were really weak, and there wasn't really anything to put in their place. And I was, you know, I, I just kind of felt like they fought a whole bunch of lizards. They fought like 13, 14 lizards, and they just stomped them. And um, I wanted some kind of powerful stuff. And uh, so I had the lizards, the lizards would take some of the slaves that they were using to dig them and they would force feed uh, ground up Eberron shard pieces in their food. And then they would make the people eat them and it would like infuse them with this really kind of terrible disease and terrible power. And then the lizards would then cook them and then eat them afterwards. And that made the lizards really powerful. So there's uh-huh. these like band of psychotic, you know, meth head uh, lizards um, that had been all jacked up on Eberron shards. I called them, you know, Eberron shard infused lizard folk. And they were really, they were tougher. And a bunch of them was actually a challenge for the party. So they went into the tunnels. They found some NPCs. Uh, one was a, um, uh, halfling. That's an old pirate that, you know, knows one of the PCs and the PC immediately, the, the player that was playing the PC that knew him immediately said, Oh, this guy's trouble. Like, yeah, I really don't like this guy. And it was just kind of this, interesting antagonistic relationship right off the bat that was totally spontaneous (laughs) um and then they went to the northern tunnels and they fought the lizard king and there's a i I gave him a dare where they could uh travel to the south and there's a dark creature in the south known as death mist and if they want to face death mist he's down you know he's down south and they were like, oh, I don't know if we want to fight. Say, who, who would willingly choose to face de- something called Death Mist? Something called Death Mist. Well, you never know. They're like, I don't know. Let's try it out. So I want to know if the Lizard King looked like Jim Morrison. No, he didn't look like <laughs> I should have. I should have given him, like, big shaggy hair. It's like, oh, yeah, that's oh, right. Oh. Yeah. <laughs> Wears really tight leather pants. Right. That's right, right exactly. H- human skin leather pants. <laughs> human skin leather pants. That yeah, you could give just Damn. enough clues. Damn, that why didn't been I do hysterical. that? Oh, that that's so been good. His... <laughs> yeah. So that's where they ended their last session. And um, so one of the interesting things, and so I, I've been throwing kind of seeds that tie back to the backgrounds of the characters. So they all kind of have different things that they want. And one of the frustrations I've been having 
is they say they want something and then they go after something that's not even close to where they would find whatever it is they want. <laughs> so they'd say like, I want to rescue my old captain. My cap, you know, my, my captain's gone missing and I want to rescue my old captain. So I'd throw all of these hints out that say, yeah, your old captain's been captured and taken off to a slave mine that's on one of the other islands, which would kind of lead to the to the slave pit series. Right. And they're like, yeah, we're going to go through the big door and go into the main island. And I'm like, all right, your captain's not there, <laughs> but all right. So, and then, yeah, I dad said, what do you want to, I'd really like to rescue my captain. Um, or my wife's character, well, she really wants to get her own boat. And I'm like, okay. And the way she's getting her own boat is to go into the center of a big island. You know, <laughs> there's no boats there, but okay. So the, the, a couple of things like the, there's two, there's two storylines that I'm, that I'm able to tie into more. One is that, yeah, they, there's, they're still getting hints that they're, the slavers are still up to no good. And if they want to leave the island, they can go leave the island and hunt down the slavers. Um, but the other two is hunting down uh, Dakani artifacts, you know, the ancient hobgoblin armies or ancient goblin armies of 10,000 years ago have artifacts that are strewn all about, including uh, a temple known as the Temple of the Moon that's in the northern island of or the northern volcanic center of the Isle of Dread. And they want and the other guys want to kind of monopolize or uh, capitalize off of the Eberron shard mines. So the idea that the lizards have this mine of Eberron shards and it's barely touched, like, you know, if a good mining operation went in there, they'd make a fortune. Mm -hmm. Oh, I remember that part of the module, except it wasn't Eberron shards. But, yeah, I know what you're talking about. Yeah. Um, mm -hmm. So they have this opportunity. So so one of the guy, one of the more capitalist characters, a, a halfling named Pug Thistleknuckle. Uh, <laughs> he, yeah, it's a great name. name. He, he has a little token that lets him speak to the dragon marked house that he's allied with. So he kind of disappeared for a little while and, and sent them a message that said, uh, hey, I think I found a really good mine of Eberron shards, but I, I need to figure it out a little bit more before you guys come here. Um, in the meantime, I suggest you go to Port Verge and wait for my message there, and I'll let you know what's what we find. I'm not real sure it's going to pan out. And so that started, he sent that to me in an email you know, because he didn't want to tell the rest of the party that he'd let them know that, that this thing is here. And he's also kind of hedging his bet by not telling them where the mine is because he wants to arrange some kind of operation. Mm -hmm. So that immediately started off a big Deadwood kind of idea that, you know, the the the, you know, the dragon mark version of George Hurst is going to, you know, descend upon the Isle of Dread with a huge mining corporation to try to take over the things. I think I need to watch Deadwood someday. You got to watch Deadwood. It's a fantastic <laughs> show. And um, it's pretty awesome. Yeah. And, you know, so there's all this opportunity now. And so what I told I told the player who said that, I said, you know, you sent me this email and it has started this massive chain of events a half a world away on like how the Dragonmark house has got to find out where he is. And they don't know where he is, but they're pretty sure that he found something and they want to find it really bad. So like they're sending their top uh, prospector, you know, there's, they have like prospectors that they send out and the prospectors can be pretty bad pretty bad dudes so they're sending a prospector out to port verge who's going to interrogate like everybody in port verge to find out where the hell they went so then they can go there and in my mind i have this image of you know everything's been going along in port verge and all of a sudden three giant airships show up full of <laughs> you know, mining a whole mining operation that's gonna and they're like oh my god you know what did we do and it was all done because he sent this like archaic message so i have this idea that there's this this kind of very um aristocratic um, um, you know, very kind of noble and 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 beautiful elf named Willow, who uh, a male elf named Willow who goes to Port Verge, but but his heart is as black as you know a coal, and he he's a murderer, and he's 
a terrible guy. And his whole job is to find out. And, and the house knows that he's a bad guy. And they know if they send him in, we will find out where Pug Thistleknuckle showed up. So it's kind of this whole series of events. But the party won't even know. Like, they're not going to know until airships show up, you know? So I'm, I'm, I'm toying with, like, do I tell them kind of, do I give them little hints of what's going on by sending, um, you know, bits of flash fiction that kind of describe how Willow shows up at Port Verge and what happens when he addresses the king of Port Verge and how he, you know, mm. begins to hunt down where Pug Thistleknuckle went. And and, uh, and, and remind now Pug that that's an NPC or a PC? That's a PC. That's a PC. Yeah. See, that's, I, see I'm almost half tempted to say don't spoil it because that's his surprise. You know, it's yeah. Like, well, it's and, not it's not one of your surprises. It's one of his surprises to, to, that he, he he can spring on him, and then he'll be very knowledgeable. And everybody like, wait a minute, how the hell do you know what's going on? You know? Yeah. Right. <laughs> he won't even know, right? Because he doesn't even know. He as far as he knows, they don't even know where it is. Right. Well, right. But, but he'll be the only one with any any inkling. Yeah, yeah. So, so I'm, I'm kind of, and the other part is, I think he knows that obviously he started a chain of events, and he doesn't know what those are. And from kind of a, you know, from a, from an idea like we never should have known what Boba Fett's father was. I'd rather not know. I'd rather him not have any idea what's really going on. So in his imagination, sure. he's building something. Yeah. So it's it's like outsourcing creativity. I don't necessarily need to make anything up. He can make it up, and it might be better for him, you know, than my idea. Mm-hmm. Kind of like you know, and even if characters, it's, even if characters it's not, and books look like what we want them to look like, even if it's not, and even if it's not like you taking him ideas from him and you, and end up making it that, you know, you can still make it your thing. But then, just let him, you know, just like you know, in in horror movies, sometimes the terror is in what you don't see because you're imagining something way right. worse than anything they could yeah, ever actually exactly, show. Exactly, you know, so There's so a, the suspense that he's building in his own mind <laughs> could be much greater. <laughs> What's remarkable to me is that such a, a large and powerful organization would go to all those steps for such a vague message that he sends. <laughs> so that's part of the key, right? That that they know that when he says stuff like that, that usually means there's something there. He would not have bothered to call back at all unless yeah. he had something. So I suppose, I suppose they know that he's just hedging his bets and he, he's trying to to hide, right. keep things under cover from him. Sending, you know, like I don't think they're going to send an airship unless they're they're already found it, you know. So they're. They're only sending a couple of guys. Sure. But, and that'll be their first hints, right? When they find a couple of guys who, who are carrying insignias from that house. Um, yeah, there's a great movie called Primer, which is about – it's a, like a, a very low-budget time travel movie. But there's this great scene where they've, they've, the two guys have invented this small, small-range time travel. And one day they're driving along and they look and they see like the guy's wife's father. His, they see his father-in-law unshaven and crazy with a gun. And they're like, is that, you know, is that your father-in-law? And he's like, I, I, I can't imagine. He doesn't look like it. He goes, is he, look, you know, so they call his father-in-law and his father-in-law answers the phone from another house. And they realize that this guy traveled through dime somehow. None of them have any idea how. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Nobody has any, they can't figure out any chain of events that would have occurred that had him using the time travel, but obviously he had. And that made the movie like a lot more interesting when mm-hmm. you know, know what the path was. So I, yeah, I think I might, I might either keep it to myself or and and keep it relatively flexible so that as interesting things happen it can kind of change mm-hmm. i always like to have stories that are driven from these like billiard balls that are banging together you know so he threw one billiard ball out a half a world away and it started off this chain of events and now there's you know a small the guy takes a small ship and a, and a single warforged bodyguard named iron fist to port verge and the two of them are going around port verge trying to figure out exactly what happened and, and trail them to you know 
the Isle of Dread and what happens when they show up at the small village. So it could be all kinds of interesting stuff. I tell you what, sometimes I am, I am uh, impressed and jealous at the way that you're able to sort of uh, piece together things and, and smack those billiard, billiard balls around and, and, you know, in your head, create events that are happening around the world as a result of the things your PCs are doing. And uh, you, do a, you, you do a great job of that. I, I am always happy. Easy ass talent. I think it's a it's a matter of change of perspective. You know, we uh-huh. we tend worlds and histories and kind of big stuff. And I think when we is, instead immediately take a character and just focus on that character and say like, what would that character do when this takes place? You know, like I started with the you know I I the, the I didn't even remember what house he was part of. But I, I went and hit Eberron's wiki site and found the house and said, oh, here's an interesting guy. What if this guy is like George Hurst in, in Deadwood? Then he would send his version of the guy George Hurst sent in Deadwood, who was this guy. So, you know, it wasn't like – and this is all, you know, lazy dungeon master reskinning, right? I just reskinned characters from other stuff mm-hmm. and said like and – then, and then all I did was say like from his perspective, what would he do? Well, he would do this and he did that. And the hard part is you don't make them omnipotent. He can't know that – the Isle of Dread. They don't even know the Isle of Dread exists. Right. And maybe it takes him a while. To... So it's not it's not so much kind of like a, you know, the character, the minds of the character, but it's a it's an interesting way to watch the story evolve. And this, you know, Stephen King's real big into this and a bunch of writers, you know, George R. R. Martin does it this way, which tend, tends to be why his books get so crazy. Mm-hmm. But there's, you know, it's a, I think it's a way to watch a story. Now when it happens, half a world away like the problem is it's one of these like what's the actual impact going to be like maybe nothing you know maybe this murderous crazy half elf or elf named willow is you know murdering prostitutes in port verge and it has absolutely nothing to do with the party they never find out because they're they're on the isle of dread you know there's the opportunity for a lot of waste if 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 I spend too much time on it. But on the other hand, that drove sometimes it's better not to write anything down. You know, I'll think about it, but I'm not going to write it in an outline or anything. Like that. I'll just keep thinking about it, and and I'll lose parts and parts of it I'll forget. It doesn't matter. You know, if it was really mm-hmm. good, it'll... so it's a it's a fun way to think about it. I think. All right. Well, we're gonna let you end there because you're starting to cut out. Oh, really? I don't know if it... Well, it's not complete cutouts. It's more of a, you're fading really, really quiet. All of a sudden, I can barely hear you. So um, we're going to call it good for, for there and go to our email. All right. Let's do it. So we got an email from DM Panu. And DM Panu says, great behind the DM screen content. Wow. Best email ever. We'll just call it quits there. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, no. I like it. I he like said. He says, "I've been experiencing situations where either a player wants to explore on his own or sets off on a solo quest. I don't want to say no, as Mike describes in his latest article. Did you write an article about that? I, I was looking for it. I don't know that I wrote that. In an article. Okay, uh, but I can't run two parallel encounters either. Any chance you can touch upon advice for when a player wants to split up on a future show? Keep up the or keep the great content coming, DM Panu." And here is that future show. We are discussing that now. How do we do solo things? I assume he's running 4E. Um, And 4E is one of those situations where I've always had a harder time 
doing solo stuff. And I've done it every now and then, but not for an extended period of time. And, and usually when I do, it's pretty combat light. Mm-hmm. Okay. I mean, that's just how I've handled it because I, oh, okay. because, because I have also not tackled this very well. Um, I've done it five or six times. It um, You have to make judicious use, and they were all with low-level characters. Um, you have to make judicious use of minions uh, that have one hit point, mm-hmm. and that makes it easy. And not to pile too many um, monsters on at one time, individual. Because, it, you know, you have four or five things attacking, three of those hit, you're going to kill your character. Mm-hmm. Um, so balance is important. I think the math works out okay. Uh, if you go by the rules for building encounters and scale yeah, them down, you can absolutely. Do um, it. yeah, the, it's the, just that the, the trouble I have is the time management piece of it, because while I'm running this encounter with, with this guy over here on his solo adventure, what's everybody else doing? Well, and that's what, and that would be the second piece I would say is that while you can run solo adventures, you never want to do it while you're playing a game with other people. You always should tell your solo – the person that – you can run a solo adventure say, well, you know, this jewel heist is really important to me. I want to go and do this, and the rest of the party can't be involved. And I said, that's fine. Let's meet another time, and I'll run you through the jewel heist. Yeah. Um, or, or what – you know, I'm just throwing that as an example. But uh, – or I want to kill, you know, the tribe's warlord or whatever, you know. Um, but that never happens – at a regular scheduled game, you should sure. always schedule that independently because it's just not an easy. And it, like I said, it ruins the fun for everybody else because they're just sitting there twiddling their thumbs. Well, and it's also worthwhile to to make it clear to the player that look, if you're making a decision to go off on your own and do your own thing, you're also making a decision not to have this character involved in whatever's going on here right now. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, I did. I actually did this as a player once. Um, you know, I had a, a character who by all rights, just didn't care what the PCs were doing anymore. It had nothing to do with his quest anymore. They were going off and doing this thing, and it wasn't his deal. And he was pretty – his shtick was that he was very sort of single-mindedly focused. Uh, so I had him go off on his own and do his own thing. And that was fine because I then pulled out, and here's my backup character, and why it would make sense for him to be involved in this other thing. Is there a way we could just fit him in now, and I'll play him for a while? Um, and, and you know, there's there's pros and cons to that as well. Um but players need to be aware that there there are gives and takes that come along with with extended solo questing sort of situations if they're going to go off and do it for an extended period of time. And in that situation, we didn't actually I didn't actually sit down with the DM and play it at all. We just sort of had a conversation about what was going on, and then when that character was reintroduced into the story, um, there was just sort of a, and here's what happened in the in between. We just just sort of mentioned it and, and uh, did you know the the D and D montage, if you will, without actually having to roll any dice and figure out how it played out. What about you, Mike? I, I would try to handle it as much as I could in, in email or offline and, and do some, you know, do some kind of role playing. Um, I mean, I've never really had it where I had a player who really wanted to do some stuff on their own. And my, my, my games are small enough. Um, they're short enough that I, I couldn't do that. Like I had six people at my table and they're only there for uh, two hours or two and a half hours. Yeah. So there's no way to do a real solo thing and have and have anybody you know no one else would would you know suffer through that. 
and luckily nobody really asks. But when people want to do stuff like this whole thing that's going on with with the character in my campaign, I I, I handle it in email. And if it's one to one, they're they're a lot more responsive to it because they're generally going to be interested in that kind of thing. Um, you know, so that'd be one way to handle it. Another way would be have have them come over earlier. Uh, I had a guy who did a very quick kind of I want to dominate this intelligent sword. And I said, okay, and we did it as a Jenga game, you know, where the, the sword and he are fighting each other's and the, the Jenga tower is the egos of the two as they crumble apart. And, um, you know, that, that sort of thing can work if you do it in a small, a small enough context. Sure. And, and there's no reason you can't wrap a different kind of game around it, you know, if you want to just do a quick, you know. Oh, that's true. You don't have you don't have to play it out as a and d thing. You could just kind of have it as a very quick skill challenge sort of thing or whatever. Mm-hmm. Right on. So I don't know if that was helpful or, or covered what you needed it to cover there, DM Panu, but uh, hopefully it gives you some ideas about what you know we would sort of think about doing if, if we were in that situation. That's right. Well, that's the uh, that's the end of uh, Behind the DM Screen for December and for 2012. We made it to the end of the year, guys. Yay! I don't remember. Did we start this in January last year? Is, oh. this, is this the end of our first full year of doing the show? I think it might be. Yeah, maybe. Cool. Yeah. Well, uh, we're gonna call say good night, goodbye to everybody for 2012, and I want to encourage everybody to go over to uh, slyflourish.com/lazydm and check out Mike's new book. I'm very happy. Yeah. It 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 turned out very nice. Go book go. And I'm and I'm in it. Yep. So you know that's awesome. I think I'm in it too. Sweet. All the cool kids got to be in it. 30th, 2012 was when we first did the first episode. It was called the Unnamed DM Show. <laughs> it was when? And, uh, the 30th of January, 2012. Yeah. So we've, uh, there we go. we've completed a year of shows. There we go. This is nice. number 12. Sweet. We've made it, guys. We're in the big leagues now. That's right. <laughs> now we can syndicate. All right, sweet. <laughs> All right. Say goodbye, everybody. Bye-bye. <laughs>